So you have whales in your seat. You're welcome to those. In fact, you should take them. There are basically one of three reasons why they're there. Let's go through those real quickly. One might be, hey, by the way, uh, happy uh, All Hallows' Eve to you. Happy Halloween. Um, it might be that you have been good and you deserve the treat, and so that could be why those whales are there. It could be, number two, that uh, we're talking about Jonah, and I thought it would be clever to have whales there. Uh, number three, it could be that the sermon is going to be really, really long, and you might need a snack, and so uh, that could be a reason. But we're talking about Jonah today, and if you've not read this story, there's some interesting stuff about Jonah. So it's kind of hard to find in the Bible. It's not a very long book. In fact, in my Bible, it takes up kind of two pages. It's not, not very long. It's toward the end of the Old Testament. Jonah was this prophet, and you probably know the story, but there are some details of the story that you might not know. And so we're going to kind of unpack some of that. I think most of us love a good fish story. My favorite one is this guy. He has uh, walking back from the river. He has a bucket with a couple of trout in it, and he's stopped by the game warden. And the warden says, uh, "I need to see your license, your fishing license." And the guy said, "Well, I'm not fishing." He goes, "Well, you have been. You got fish in your bucket." And he said, well, "No, no. These are my pet fish. I took them to the river to give them a walk, and now I'm bringing them back home." Well, unsurprisingly, the warden didn't buy this story, and so he's about to write him a ticket. He said, you can't give me a ticket. These are my pets. Let, let me prove it to you. It's like, okay. The warden said, okay. So they walk back down to the river. The guy dumps his two trout into the river, and the warden says, okay, now whistle for your fish to come back. And the guy says, what fish? Uh, that's my favorite fish story. It's a great fish story. It's funny. You'll get it eventually. I mean, sometime you'll get that. All right, so when I say it's a fish story, I don't mean to imply it's a fable. I think this is actually true. Um, to believe Jonah, you have to believe in miracles, that God could miraculously uh, sustain someone in the belly of a fish for three days. God does things uh, like this often in Scripture, and so it's not unbelievable. And so as we look at the story, I want you to open your mind. It's kind of a, like I say, it's pretty short. It's like four chapters is all it is. Uh, it reads pretty quickly if you want to read through it sometime, not right this second, but sometime. But let's walk through it together quickly, okay? Jonah, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and God says to Jonah, by the way, time out just for a second. Um, God doesn't always speak directly to us. Sometimes I think it happens. Uh, a lot of times it's just an impression. I don't know if this is an impression or if God is actually speaking to him. But this is really important, and God wanted Jonah to know that he had an assignment and a couple of weeks ago, we talked about, you know, Mission Impossible, and Mr. Phelps would get, like, this recording, and he would have to, uh, on that show, he would have to figure out um, if he was going to accept the mission. And so this is basically that. God is saying, hey, Jonah, I've got a mission for you. And the mission is, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. The, Nineveh, the Ninevites were Assyrians. They were kind of, they were Gentiles and, and warring people. They weren't very nice, honestly, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. Say that with me, Tarshish. It's horrible. It's a horrible word. Okay. He went down to Joppa where he found, and um, there was a hut there, Joppa the hut. Uh, he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, I like, I love that detail in the story. Uh, uh, Jonah, Jonah didn't just stow away. Uh, he paid the fare, and he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish, say it, Tarshish, 
to flee from the Lord. Now, the... The story sort of, pardon the pun, kind of hooks you right from the beginning. You know, uh, there's this assignment, <laughs> go uh, to Nineveh, and uh, <laughs> Jonah's like, yeah, I don't think so. And I think it resonates with us because sometimes God will tell us stuff, and we'll say, mm, I don't think so. And so the story of Jonah is a little bit the story of all of us because most of us have had times where we've run from God. Maybe you heard something, you read something, you uh, were in uh, a sermon and it's like, yeah, God's really speaking to me here. Or uh, you read something in your scriptures and it's like, man, God's really speaking to me here. And yet you choose to do the exact opposite. This is Jonah and Jonah's us sometimes. It would be like hearing a message from God and God say, saying, okay, I need you to, to go from here where you live, up to Washington, D.C., and you need to tell those people that they're whack and that they need to get their act together. It's not um, unreasonable to think that might happen. And, and you hear God's voice saying, hey, go to Washington, D.C., but you decide to go to Cancun. It's like, uh, I, I want to go, God wants me to go this way, and I'm going to go the other way, as far the other direction as possible. And God says, go to Nineveh, which is that way, and Jonah decides to go to Tarshish that way. It's like as far uh, polar opposite places as you can be. And Jonah has an assignment, and he chooses to reject it. Now, there's a reason. Uh, likely, the likely reason is Jonah is a Jew. And the Jews and the Gentiles don't like one another. And it just said in that scripture that those people aren't very nice. They're wicked. And God is saying, I need you to go warn wicked people that they're about to get in big trouble with me. And Jonah, as a Jew, says to himself, I really don't like Gentiles, and I'm not going to go talk to the Gentiles. So, if you have your outlines, let's look at a couple of life lessons from the book of Jonah. The first one is this. Disobedience to God is a bad life choice. It really is. It says here in Proverbs, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And so sometimes we have these options and we choose to not do what God wants us to do. And what's really interesting about the story, I don't know if you've ever noticed it before. Okay, so today if I wanted to fly somewhere, I could go to GSP, I could purchase a ticket, there are flights that go out of there every day. There are multiple flights every day out of the Greenville-Spartanburg airport. I don't know how many. I Maybe I should have done the research, but uh, a certain amount of flights every day. Now, when Jonah lived, to go to the port and catch a ship that day was remarkable. In fact, you could say it was an open door. Not only did he find a ship about ready to leave, he had the money, he had the wherewithal to purchase a ticket, I mean, all these things sort of lined up, and you think, okay, well, that was an open door. But here's what we have to understand. Not every open door is God's doing. I mean, it all lined up for him. All the stars were in alignment. Jonah was like, oh, this must be what God wants, but he knew it wasn't what God wants. And that happens to us sometimes. Look, I think Satan sometimes clears the way for us if we want to be disobedient to God. And so we have to really, in fact, obeying God and following the Lord is often much harder than fleeing from him. This was actually quite easy. He kind of just went and hopped a boat, not, not too difficult. He kind of found it right there. And sometimes I think, man, I really wish God would just 
Have you ever been bumper bowling? You know, bumper bowling, you can't really mess up. You, you always hit a pin, the first ball at least, uh, because uh, there are bumpers in the gutters and you can't get, kinda, you can't get too far afield. But does anybody really want to bumper bowl when life can be so challenging? I mean, when you go bowling, you ought to go bowling to see how good you are, right? Bumper bowling is for little kids and, and losers. And so uh, life is for people, <laughs> if you're a bumper bowler, sorry. Uh, I apologize, that felt really bad. Uh, uh, when we live a life and God says, hey, this is how I want you to live, it is a challenge. So <laughs> bad things happen. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. So they're already out to sea. Um, this is really important for the story. Can I uh, let, let me interject something real fast. To the Jewish people, the sea was the most evil, worst place you could be. They hated the sea. It'll be really important in just a minute, but they really, really hated it. So it's kind of important. Uh, Jonah does something most Jewish people don't do. They don't really like getting on the water like this, but he's on the ocean or on the sea, and the wind comes up, and there's a violent storm arose, and the ship threatened to break up. The, the idea is this was uncommon, like the storm came up suddenly, and these sailors who are seasoned, I would suspect, don't know what to do. And all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. When the sailor starts to pray, uh, things are bad. It's kind of what they're saying here. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. They were taking on water, as this reads to me. And they had to lighten the ship because they weren't able to bail the water out fast enough. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. <laughs> that dude, I, I mean, you know... He, he is able to sleep in the midst of probably this hurricane kind of storm, and yet he's able to sleep, which brings me to the second life lesson that's really important. The worst place in the world you can be is at peace with a bad decision. Sin should unsettle us in our own lives. Um, and, and just because we're at peace with a decision doesn't make it the right decision. The further from God we are, a lot of times, the the more at peace it is when we're uh, the more at peace we are when we are in in the middle of sin, and so it, it should unsettle us. And look at what happens: the sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked they asked Jonah. So these guys pray. It's really interesting. They they sort of cast lots. They try to figure out what is the problem, and the problem they come to the conclusion is Jonah. So they talk to him. What should we do to you? To make the sea calm down for us. You're the key, is what they're saying. And we, we kind of know it. And, and Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. For I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. I like that. I like that Jonah owns his mistake. He, he is owning it. Hey man, this is my fault. Um, you all shouldn't have to pay. Throw me into the sea. Now, this is really interesting. The next section, the next verse. It says, Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. Alright. <laughs> this Jewish man who didn't want to take the gospel to the Gentiles is being treated by Gentiles much better than he treated the Gentiles. The Gentiles, they didn't want to do away with him. They tried everything they could to save him. 
He's trying everything he can to get away from saving people. It's really interesting. There's this sort of juxtaposition that the author of this book sort of wants you to understand. Hey, the sailors were, in this case, better people than Jonah. It's really super cool. They try to row back the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And this sea is churning. You can kind of see it, and they have compassion for this guy, but at some point they really don't have any other options. Which brings me to the third life lesson. Treat people well, even when they're not like you. What I love about the sailors is they did everything they could to not throw Jonah overboard. I mean, when, when you're, we talk about throwing somebody overboard all the time. Uh, they, they tried not to. And the Bible says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Here's what I like about this. They throw Jonah overboard. He disappears. And I don't know if maybe the storm sort of slowly subsides, but you get the idea that the storm goes from raging to not raging. Jonah is gone, and all of a sudden the men who were praying to their small g gods decide that there is one God with a big G, and they begin to worship Him. Jonah, even in disobedience, God uses it for His own glory. It's really kind of cool. And God restores us and uses us even when we (laughs) don't ask for it. And we live in a world right now, we live in a society right now, we live in something, they call it cancel culture. People can make mistakes and they get canceled and they just don't ever get to come back. And this is a picture of a football coach that a couple of weeks ago got fired for emails he sent 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Now listen, I, I didn't read the emails, I don't know what they said. It really is a little bit irrelevant. It was 10 years ago. The, the implication is that guy hasn't changed in the last 10 years. Are you the same person you were 10 years ago? I'm not defending him. I don't know what he said. I just don't like the idea that, hey, because he said something a long time ago, we, that's unforgivable. Well, that's not unforgivable. And he's a different person. We're all different than we were 10 years ago. For most of us, let's hope we're better than we were 10 years ago. And some of these emails evidently were racist, and he had some African-American players that came up afterwards and said, he, he does, he's never exhibited any racism to us now. Ten years after the fact, maybe he changed. I hate that we just don't give people the benefit of the doubt. And I'm very happy that our God, the God that we serve, is very liberal. He's liberal in his forgiveness. He's liberal in his restoration. He's liberal in the way he removes our sin. The Bible says he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. Really kind of interesting language. Considering Jonah who was told to go one direction and goes the other, that is the God that we serve. Now, look at this. The Lord provided, super interesting word, a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. The word literally means commissioned. It would be like if, if you're the president and you commission an uh, ambassador to go to China or something. You, you commission them. You, you set them apart for a certain task as a government official. It's kind of, sort of government language. And so the language, <laughs> the language is the Lord commissioned this great fish to do something. <laughs> really interesting. It, it is like God gives him some commands. Hey, 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 hey. Um, 
big fish, hey dude, um, I got a job for you. Uh, there's a prophet, he's floating around. Uh, I need you to uh, go get him. Really important, I need you to listen now. Um, swallow, don't chew. Uh, really important, it's really, really important. Swallow, don't chew. And for three days, Jonah is in the belly of the fish. Now, there are skeptics, and I'm sure uh, there are people who say, well, that can't, you couldn't happen. Well, really, I, I read this story, really interesting story. Uh, and, in fact, it's a historical account that happened in the late, let's see, 1891. There was a shipping, a shipping vessel, <laughs> sorry, a shipping vessel, um, a shipping vessel by the name of the Star of the East. It came out of Liverpool, England, and they were, uh, they were, it was back in the day where they hunted whales. Uh, you know, whales, you can get a lot of uh, valuable content from, their, from, from them. And, and so you have you know, blubber and that kind of thing, it makes oil, that sort of stuff. And so they were, they were fishing for whales off of the Falkland Islands, and there was, there's a big ship, and they see a whale, and so they send a couple of smaller ships, and they row out to try to harpoon the whales. That's what they did. It seems gruesome to us. It is gruesome. It's not something that I, I don't think it happens today much, but uh, that was what happened then. And so one of the boats harpoons the whale, and the other boat's trying to row to you know, also harpoon the whale. And the idea is that eventually the, the whale will die, will expire, and they can then harvest the whale. So the first boat harpoons the whale, and the whale takes off, and the other boat's rowing to try to catch up, and they eventually harpoon the whale as well. Uh, the whale as well. It's hard to say. And then the whale um, goes underwater. Um, he, it's called he sounds, he sounded under. And then he came back up, and he capsized one of these two boats that had harpooned him. And the capsizing causes all the seamen to fall into the sea, and uh, only two of them uh, two of them didn't get rescued. They were lost during this uh, uh, this activity. They eventually secure the whale. They bring him back to the ship. They hoist him aboard ship, and they begin to harvest this huge animal. If you've been around, if you've seen one, they're they're massive. So they begin to harvest this, um, this whale, and they see something moving around in the whale's stomach. They were kind of shocked. Well, the thing moving around in the guy's stomach, according to uh, records from the ship, was a, a 32-year-old, one of the Navy guys that fell overboard earlier, named James Bartley. And he was alive inside the whale's Stomach. Really interesting. Now here is an account from someone on this particular ship. His name was Sir Francis Fox. What a great name. Sir Francis. Francis writes this. Francis Fox writes this. His skin where it was exposed to the action of the gastric juices, namely his face, neck, and hands, were bleached to deadly whiteness and took on the appearance of parchment. He never fully recovered uh, his skin's natural appearance, though otherwise his health did not seem affected by this terrible experience. So there are some historical records of people who have been swallowed by huge fish. Now, back to our story. A couple things you really need to notice. Um, when God's up to something, it's always something great. Did you notice in the story the word great gets used several times? It was a great storm. There was great fear. It's a great fish. 
If Tony the Tiger was here, he would say, he's great. I mean, uh, God is always up to something great. Jesus put it this way. Jesus said, uh, my father is always about his work. He's always at work. It's always great work. He's always doing something. We see it in the story of, of Jonah. Even, uh, even him being thrown overboard ended up being uh, something great. God's always about doing something great. And then something else really kind of interesting. Sometimes the way up is down. Jonah, all of the language around Jonah is down. Listen, he, goes, uh, he was told to go to Nineveh, but he goes down to the city port of Joppa. And then he hops a train that's going uh, a train uh, a boat that's going down to Tarshish, and then he goes down into the belly of the ship to fall asleep, and then he's thrown down into the the sea, and then he goes down into the belly of the great fish, and God restores him. And I talked about a second ago the the whole idea of the sea being wildly scary for Jewish people. If you've read the end of the book of Revelation, Revelation is very difficult. It is a lot of symbolism. But chapters 21 and 22, they kind of get a little clearer, a little less difficult. And he's talking about, John who writes this, is talking about um, heaven, how great heaven is going to be. And I just want to show you one verse there because I think it's really interesting, the language he uses. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Because for the Jews, the sea was wildly scary. On Halloween, if you wanted to be the scary kid and you were Jewish, you dressed up like Nemo. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of how it worked, you know. Uh, you come to the house and they were all going ah, because uh, uh, it was the scariest thing they could think of. The sea brings me to the fourth life lesson. The best place to pray is wherever you are. <laughs> chapter one of Jonah is about Jonah being really, really active. He hears the word from God. He decides not to do it. He goes down and gets a, uh, a ticket on a ship. He gets on a ship. I mean, he's, he's busy. He's doing stuff, right? He's very, very busy. Jonah one, Jonah busy. Jonah two, Jonah in a whale. You, you can't be super busy in a whale. I mean, what are you going to do? Play seaweed solitaire? I mean, what are you, what are you doing? I mean, there's nothing to do, right? Uh, so he decides this is, might be a great opportunity to pray. And here's something that we need to understand. In the rhythm of life, God has prescribed for us something called Sabbath. We should take that seriously. Uh, to rest, to kind of recalibrate a little bit every week, one day every week is really, really important. I was in Russia a few years ago on a mission trip, and uh, we went to the worship service, and I think it started at 9 and ended at 1. I mean, it was, it was forever long. We needed some whales on that thing. Uh, there were, I think, nine special musics and four people preached. And uh, I preached. They told me not to try to be funny, which was a mistake. Uh, I made a joke about Borsk, and they loved it. Uh, so I could kill it even in Russia. I want you to know. Anyway, uh, we were there. And, and then after the, uh, at 1 o'clock, then we all had a meal. I mean, there was no hurry. It was just like we were, we were all just chill. It was awesome. And here's Jonah, and he is in the belly of a fish, and he's pretty chill because he can't go anywhere. And it says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed. <laughs> and sometimes God will put you in a very difficult situation, so you slow down and you pray. And if you find yourself in a situation where you've been slowed 
the very best thing you can do is pray. And so God slowed him, and then he prayed. And he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. For from the depths of the, great, uh, of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. And his relationship had been strained, and now he turns back to God. It's almost like this is a little bit of a comedy. Uh, the, the way this is written. So, so look at the next verse. Kind of funny. The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. And so the Jews were like, oh man, this is, this is really tough. This is bad. He's in a bad position. And so we're, we're, we're sort of thinking, man, he's, he's, he's a goner. And the Bible uses the idea of three days and, and three nights often in Scripture. Kind of interesting. You, you sort of, the Bible is simple and complex at the same time. It's, it's beautiful. So you can read it sort of on the surface and get something from it. But then if you sort of step back from it and look at it, it's called systematic theology. If I think about it as a whole, it's really interesting because God uses three days and three nights a lot. Kind of, kind of interesting. I'll show you a couple. Um, in 1 Corinthians, now we're in the New Testament. I passed to Paul, says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried and was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. And what he's saying is, hey, there is a, a model for this in Scripture. Three days, there's a model. A couple of, a couple of them, let me show you a couple. Um, Isaac. So you have Abraham, the father of the Jews, and he has a son called Isaac. And Isaac is his beloved son, his only son. And so God says to Isaac, uh, God says to Abraham, "Hey, I need you to sacrifice your son Isaac." And Abraham's willing to do it. And so look at what look at the story. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. They were going to go out to offer a sacrifice, and Abraham was going to offer his son Isaac. And he took with him two of his servants and his son. The servants and the son don't know what's going down, as far as we know. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And you know how the story ends. Abraham uh, is about to sacrifice his son, and, and uh, an angel uh, causes him to stop. And then he sees a ram in the thicket, and God provides for uh, Abraham another sacrifice really interesting and the giving of the law it was about three days look at this uh, the giving of the new of the like the old testament law the lord said to moses go to the people consecrate them today and tomorrow have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day and on the third day god gives the law let me give you one more um so next week we're going to look at this a little bit more but the israelites lived in their uh in their nation in their land called Israel, and sometimes people would come overthrow them and take them as captives, as exiles of other places. The Babylonians did that. And so one of the prophets that said, hey, we're going to be restored, even though we're in captivity, was a guy named Hosea. And Hosea writes this about, hey, God is coming to save us. And he's like, uh, come, let us return to the Lord. He's torn us to pieces, but he'll heal us. And he's injured us, but he'll bind our wounds and after two days, we will, He will revive us, and on the third day, He will restore us. This language is all throughout Scripture. There's this idea of restoration, and God is going to help us on this third day. Alright, so let's go back to our story. Really, really funny. This gets funny now. The Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah 
onto dry land. TMI, man. You know, it's like, I, I don't know that I wanted to know that. That, you know, he had a, uh, uh, he, he launched the food shuttle. Uh, uh, it's almost like middle school, right? It's like, you know, as the competitive eaters would say, he had a reversal of fortune. And all of a sudden, I think the author wants you to know, he didn't just like walk out of the fish. He wasn't delivered by an angel. He, he I don't, how indelicate is this? Um, have you been around vomit? Anybody? Uh, it's a mess. And it stinks. Uh, usually when that happens at our house, I try to find something else to do. Because uh, I have a wife. Uh, anyway, uh, there's, there's this vomit on the beach. <laughs> and if you're like one of the Ninevites, you're around the beach, it's like, hey, <laughs> that fish vomited up a dude. I mean, it's like, can you imagine that conversation? Really, really interesting. All right, so then it gets really interesting. I, I didn't know this. I mean, I was, I've, I've read the story of Jonah 150 times in my life. I didn't know this. So, the Ninevites, they're Assyrians. That's kind of their, their government. That's a town in a, big, in, a, in, a, in a country. So, the Assyrians have a god. His name is Dagon. D-A-G-O-N. I'd like to show you a picture of a carving of Dagon and see if you notice anything. Dagon is half of a fish. All right, get this. Think about it. Think about it. So you're a Ninevite. Because the, the story goes on and says, hey, Jonah preached and they all believed. It's like, well, why? Well, here's why. It's as if their God brought a dude to their beach and spit him up to tell him the good news. Isn't that really interesting? I think it's really interesting. And think about it. If that account from the, the whaling vessel, what if Jonah comes out of the fish and he is, he's like albino all of a sudden. He's got no color, right? He's like a, a he, he's, he is just white. And he, he's a prophet and he says, hey, I've got a message from God. And they're like, well, yeah, because uh, you came out of a fish. And they listened and they repented. And it, it kind of makes more sense to me. It's like, well, yeah, kind of makes sense. And this is the story of, of great joy. Man, the, the Jews love this story because he was lost. He was a goner. Dude was in trouble. And all of a sudden, he is restored. And he preaches, and they repent. And it's interesting because Jesus and Jonah have a lot of stuff in common. They came from the same region. Uh, Jonah was from a town called, let me find it, Gath Hefer. Jesus was from Nazareth. They were within miles of one another. Interesting. Uh, Jonah goes into the, uh, down below deck to fall asleep. And Jesus was one time in a big storm. And he was on a boat. And he, do you remember, fell asleep. Really kind of interesting. Really, really interesting. And, and Jonah's name means dove. And Jesus one time went into the water and he came up and then there was this voice and there was the Spirit and the Spirit uh, alighted on him, it says in Scripture, as if he was a dove. And then Jesus said this one time. He said, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And I think what's really interesting to me is 
Jonah was delivered. Jonah was forgiven. He was restored. I mean, he, he was likely a little bit worse for wear, but I mean, he was restored. And sometimes, man, you go through some difficult stuff, you have some bruises and some nicks, and you get beat up a little bit. Sometimes getting to the right place is tough, and you have some war wounds. And I'm sure he had some war wounds. But he still was restored, and he preached, and they repented, and he was mad about it. So this is the oddest part of the story. Why would you be mad about that? I mean, as a preacher, you kind of I kind of think to myself, well, it'd be great if people responded. But he had such a hatred for the Gentiles. Really interesting. And God loves people that we don't want to love. Now, let me end with this. Grace is sometimes difficult to give, even if it's been given to us. The Bible over and over talks about this. Forgive because you've been forgiven. You know, be patient because God is patient with you. You see that often in Scripture. So the first and second, third century Christians were persecuted. You, know, you we may not talk about this very much, but we should. It's not like Christianity showed up and everybody believed. Christianity showed up and everybody was mad. The Jews didn't like them and the Gentiles didn't like them. They were kind of a they were kind of a a, a man without a country. I mean, you know, they they just didn't ha- they had nobody to defend them. And so then you have emperors in, in Rome like Nero and Caligula, and they, they hated the Christians. They blamed the Christians on stuff. And so the Christians were driven underground, much like China today, by the way, and other places. There are other places in the world where Christianity is, is uh, persecuted. So the Christians are first, second, third century persecuted. They, they, didn't have a, they didn't have churches. What's really interesting to me, you know, the great art of Europe, that all came much later. The great art of the the faith. So these people, they had to meet in something called catacombs. Catacombs are under the city. They're kind of tunnels under the city. And under the city, that's where they buried people. And so they were literally meeting for worship where people were buried amongst the bones. Can you imagine having a church like that? I'm, I'm claustrophobic. It kind of makes me a little... I get nervous just thinking about it. There's probably you know, lights and... Uh, not lights, but uh, torches. And, and so they're having services in there. And what's really interesting, if you look at the art in the catacombs, is this. Now, they did art about Jesus and that kind of thing, but when they do art about the Old Testament, super interesting... You'd think the character that they would depict in art the most would be Moses. He gave the law, you know, or Abraham. He, he was the father of the nation. Or David, man, David was a hero, you know. The person they depict most in art from the Old Testament in the catacombs is Jonah. They love Jonah. Because when you're in the belly of the earth and everything is against you, The thing you want to know is, hey, deliverance is coming. They loved this story. They loved it. Because it taught this fact. God restores, God delivers. And what we need to understand is God still restores, and He still delivers. And maybe you came today, and you're kind of not where you know God wants you to be. And you need this message. Hey, God is in the restoration and deliverance business. He's here for you. He wants to. That's for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for... Man, the story of Jonah is fun and great, and we thank You for it. 
And Lord, I pray that we would be convinced and convicted that you are here for us and that you do want to do great things for us. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Help us to enjoy you this week. Help us to walk in that this week. In Jesus' name, amen.